We are continuing in Acts. We had a little bit of a detour last week talking about culture and how it affects us and also how we can affect our culture, which definitely applies to where we are in Acts quite a bit and will continue to. As a side note, I listened to a sermon. Uh, I posted it on Facebook, but I can send you guys a link if you're interested. That the guy was talking a lot about culture and Christians and how we're supposed to have like a kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven point of view and sort of live above culture a little bit. So I thought it was pretty cool and he had a lot of good things to say. So if you guys want that, I can share that. That's a little side note. But tonight we're in Acts 13. We continue with the story. There's going to be a little shift here, as I've mentioned before, that We've been sort of following Peter for the most part, Philip a little bit, and we've met Saul, but now we're going to really start following Saul as he starts to really move into ministry, and we're basically going to follow him for the rest of the book. So there's going to be quite a a shift here as we start to do that. We can dive right into verse 1. It says, Now in the church that was... At Antioch, Johnny spoke a few weeks back about Antioch. This is the place where Christianity basically is just booming. It's growing. And that's where we were first called Christians. The name Christians first applied to uh, followers of Jesus in Antioch. So that's where they are. The church is booming. The church is growing. Uh, It says there were certain prophets in Antioch and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So we've met a couple of these guys, specifically Barnabas and Saul, and these, the scripture here says, are prophets and teachers. And we sort of dug into the gifts of the Holy Spirit in another series. And so I'm not going to go deep into this, but I do think uh, it's worth mentioning. You guys don't have to go there if you don't want, but I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. It's sort of a little bit of a review of that series, a quick one. This was sort of our key verse in the whole series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it's Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And it says, And he himself, speaking of Jesus gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. If you guys remember, we talked about this is the point of every gift of the Holy Spirit. These three things in verse 12. Equipping the saints, that's what we're trying to do here. That's sort of our mission statement. We are hoping to equip you guys to know how to use your gifting in the ministry that you're going to move into. And that's the second thing, the work of the ministry. And this can be ministry like with your church or or organized thing, or it can be, as Johnny taught about, your personal ministry, whatever God is calling you to do in your personal life. And the third thing is the edifying of the body of Christ. So these are the three things that every gift of the Holy Spirit is for, to edify the body, to do your ministry, and to be equipped with your gift to do your ministry. And the verse 11 here, it gives this 
some will call it the fivefold ministry, but if you read Ephesians, it very much seems like every Christian falls within at least one of these categories. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and there's a separation here of some of these things. And in Acts verse uh, 13, verse 1, it talks about prophets and teachers. Elsewhere, later in life, Paul will write that he's an apostle, like God set him up as an apostle, a prophet, and a teacher. So these are the three things that he's sort of functioning as. So, you know, I'm not saying you only get one of these gifts. You, you probably have, you know, one of these gifts, other gifts that are mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament. But the point is that here are mentioned prophets and teachers. And this differs from being like a teacher doesn't necessarily mean a pastor. A pastor has to do with shepherding, and sometimes you're not necessarily a shepherd if you are a teacher. Also, prophets are separated. They're different than teachers. A lot of people will say, well, anybody who preaches the word of God is a prophet. Well, why is it spoken of as a different thing then? If you look at the actual meaning of the word prophet, it's talking about somebody who is empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak about the future. And that is what a prophet's gifting is. So it's a little bit separate, it's a little bit different, but these people are the prominent leaders, the prominent prophets and teachers in Antioch at the time. So we can continue in verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. So a couple of things that I want to mention in these two verses, specifically about fasting, that it's interesting how this happens. And the first thing is when you decide that you're going to fast a lot of time, and fasting is still a thing. Not many people talk about it or, or really do it that much anymore, but we should still be, when we're going into a new season or a difficult season, or we're seeking God about a specific thing, we should think about, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to set some time aside and make sure that I pray. Um, me personally, I fast technology most of the time. My phone, TV, just shut off, unplug, and every time I reach for my phone, I think, oh, I'm fasting that, I need to pray. And so I do that because I have also sort of in my younger years, I would go to fast and I would be sort of doing this double thing. Like, oh, I'm going to fast for God, you know? And also I'll probably like lose a couple pounds, like thumbs up for me. And so I'm sort of like serving these two masters and that doesn't work. Like you can't be doing these two things like, oh, sweet. I'm going to like get closer to God and like please my vanity. You know, you can't do that. So that's the reason that I typically go for technology because again, products of our culture, we're a little bit more uh, obsessed with looking skinny, whereas back in the day, uh, being a little thicker meant you were rich. You're a good-looking dude. So anyway, um, when you set that time aside to fast, sometimes God will give you the answer. Like, say, all right, I'm going to fast for a week. Uh, whatever you're going to do, I'm going to, you know, whatever you choose to do, whatever God puts on your heart to do, whether, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna fast anything that, like, taste good. I'm still going to eat and get nutrition, but I'm just not going to eat meat or I'm not going to eat whatever specific thing, whatever that thing is that you're going to fast from. Sometimes you'll say, okay, I'm going to do this for a week. And 
God will show up on Tuesday and like give the answer. And it's like, sweet. Thank you, God. Like this is exactly what I was praying for. And then the fast ends. And I would say be careful with that because, again, it's a very big deal when you make a promise to God. So whether you get the answer on Tuesday or on the very last day, I would say it's important to fulfill the time that you've promised to God that you're going to do that fast. And even if you already have the answer, then use that extra fasting time as more prayer time and a way of thanksgiving. Like, sweet God, thank you so much for that answer. I'm going to continue this in honor of my promise to you. But it's it's no longer for that specific thing. If you want to speak to me more, then like, awesome. Praise God. Hallelujah. So think about that if you go into a time of fasting. The second thing is if the answer that you receive is tough or it's, it brings a new season, as we are talking about here in Acts 13, it's good to fast for that new season then also. This is a separate fast that happens, right? They're fasting and they're praying. The Holy Spirit speaks, set aside Barnabas and and Saul. And then verse 3, then having fasted and prayed. So they then fasted for the new thing, right? So this is interesting and important because, again, sometimes you're like fasting, like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And he says, go be a missionary to wherever, or, you know, be a pastor, or this massive new change that's going to, like, completely change the way you live your life. And when that happens, it's like, okay, God, I need to prepare myself. I don't think I'm ready for this. This is huge, but you're calling me to do this. So I I feel like I need to be more prepared. I'm going to fast for this thing. And then when you're getting ready to go into that new season, again, as I've said before about fasting, take food, take strength and move into it sober-mindedly. So that's a couple of things about these two verses and fasting. We can continue in verse 4. It says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Saul and Barnabas just became apostles. If you remember the word apostles, it just simply means sent ones. So they were prophets and teachers, and now they add apostle to their sort of spiritual resume. Now, that exists, but (laughs) they... They have been sent out by the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to see, most Bibles have a map in the back, and most of those maps will have Paul's missionary trips. So mine looks like this. I have two different maps for it. This is his first and second journeys with different colors, and this is his uh, third and fourth journeys with different colors. So the black one is... Uh, his first missionary. That's that's where we're where he's traveling from and to. So I don't know if you're a visual person. I certainly am, and it really helps to be able to say like, okay, well, where are these places? Oh, cool! And it's really cool to see the geography of the thing and realize again, as we've said before, these are real places. These are real people doing real things in the world in which we still exist. And critics have tried to disprove the Bible, tried to disprove specifically Luke, the writer of Acts, and have come to the conclusion, oh, actually, this person who I thought was a hack is actually my main source for finding these archaeological sites. And so that is very important to Acts and to the Bible and to what we believe in general, because it's like, man, okay, yeah, we believe the truth. And it's it's proved over and over and over again. So, That's a cool thing about maps. If you guys want to like 
flip back there every once in a while just to f- sort of see where we're at. You can do that. He's on the island of Cyprus. And it says in verse 5, And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues. <laughs> I heard somebody say salami. I knew it was going to happen. Salami, salami. Salami, salamis. It sounds delicious. <laughs> they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Uh, they also had John as their assistant. This is John Mark. If you guys remember, uh, he was mentioned before that he he went with them. But this is the guy who's attributed with writing the Gospel of Mark. And so he goes with them as an assistant. We're going to see later that he leaves and he spends most of his ministry at Peter's side, writing his letters, being his assistant, doing things with Peter, sort of being Peter's disciple. And that's sort of his ministry. But right now he's with Saul and Barnabas. And it says in verse 6, now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus. This, uh, we're going to sort of talk about some things in verse 6 here. This is the second sorcerer or magi that we've met in the book of Acts. And if you remember Simon... He was the the other one that we met. But the Bible talks differently about these two guys, and I think it's very interesting. Simon, it says that he he formerly was a sorcerer. He used to be a sorcerer. Whereas here we see this guy, he's a sorcerer. Practicing sorcerer, he's a magi, he's got some tricks up his sleeve. Secondly, Simon, he just he claimed to be someone great. And then the people were then calling him the great power of God, and he didn't correct him, right? And that was a wicked thing. But here, straight up, this dude's a false prophet. Like, it just says it exactly how it is. This guy, Bar-Jesus, he's a false prophet. We don't know exactly what he's saying, but it's very clear, very harsh. And that's the third thing, is that this passage is a little more harsh towards this bar Jesus. Whereas with Simon, he seems to come to Jesus. He puts his sorcery aside. He gets saved. He gets baptized. Yeah, he's not perfect. He's enamored by power. So he offers the apostles money so that he can get the Holy Spirit. And Peter rebukes him harshly and says, take your money to hell with you. Like you're not a part of what we do here. But then he repents of that thing. And he seems to come to Jesus. He's struggling, but he is seeming to try and do the right thing and try and be a Christian, right? So the Bible speaks differently of these two guys. And what I want to talk about is that it is a wicked thing to receive glory for yourself and not give glory to God, as we saw in chapter 12 with Herod, who, same thing, took glory. They were chanting that he was a God and he didn't correct him. The angel hits him. And he dies five days later. So it's a wicked thing to receive glory and not give that glory to God. But there is worse punishment for those who actively are teaching falsehood. God speaks much more harshly. The Bible speaks much more harshly about false prophets. The thing is that we've talked about, we've talked about false prophets, I think, a fair amount here. What we're going to talk about again, because it's kind of a big topic, 
And the difficult thing is how to tell the difference between a false prophet and a deceived person, a, a wicked person. Again, it's, it's a wicked thing to say like, oh, I'm taking the glory, but to, to, that's different than somebody like, that dude's a straight up false prophet. And we've talked about that a little bit, but it's sometimes easy to tell a true prophet or a, a true teacher from a wicked person, right? Because typically they're like, I'm getting the glory. Like, who gets the glory in whatever they're doing? They're glorifying themselves. They're doing magic to glorify themselves. They give no glory to God. They do whatever they do. It, you know, they they take the money. They take the glory. They, they take all the attention and they give none to God, right? Like, that is a sign of like, hey, this person is wicked, false teacher. That's like an obvious thing, right? Uh, the complicated thing is how to identify a false prophet that sometimes sounds true. That is that is what we're going to try and t- talk a little bit about tonight. Tonight's sermon is called False or True. And it's sometimes hard to tell. It's sometimes complicated and it's not so easy to just be like, false prophet. You know, and sometimes the Bible says it like that. Like, oh, false prophet. Like, name, easy to tell. That's what's going on. And the reason we're talking about this is because you can be deceived. You can be deceived. And I know that you can be deceived. I know that I can be deceived because of all the warnings in the Bible about not being deceived (laughs) to Christians over and over and over and over again. And I have this list here that I was curious. Uh, I had a theory that there was a warning in every single New Testament book of the Bible whether to whether of false teachers and or false prophets or to continue and the the warnings to continue is i beseech you therefore brethren like walk worthy of the you know, calling for which you were called these beggings like do not stop like run the good race fight the good fight continue because if you don't you'll perish like that's the warning to continue right and so it's not very pretty um but what I have here is two columns. I have a false teacher column here and a warning to continue on this side. And my theory was almost right. Every single New Testament book of the Bible includes one of those types of warnings with the exception of Philemon. We've talked about this before, but um, I think it's an important thing because clearly it's a massive topic and a massive theme that just is not really taught that much about. So Philemon is the super small, not even a page letter from Paul about his travels. And so it's important because we see where he was, how he traveled, who he's talking to, right? But that book doesn't include any sort of warnings. However, every other New Testament book of the Bible does. And there's only four New Testament books of the Bible that does not include a warning about false teachers or false doctrine. So out of all the New Testament books of the Bible, only four do not specifically talk about false prophets, false teachers. And that is a huge number. Like, that is a big topic. If we cannot be deceived, why are there so many warnings that we can be or that we shouldn't? Because we can be. And there's all kinds of arguments about this, but that's just like the simple and true thing of of Scripture. All of these warnings are for a reason, and the Holy Spirit wanted us to have them so that we could 
equip ourselves. This is a massive topic. We can't go through all the scriptures. I will say Johnny has asked me for this in spreadsheet form. And so I'm going to do that. I haven't done it yet. I won't do it this week because I'm crazy busy. But next week, I'll probably put that spreadsheet together. So um, actually, what I'll do is like I'll create some sort of like sign up sheet. If you're interested in the spreadsheet, you want to do like a cool in-depth study about false teachers, look up all the, all the verses, I would definitely recommend it. So I'll, I'll leave this like on the paper or on the table and you guys can like sign up if you want me to send you that spreadsheet. Um, because it's a massive topic and we all are not able to tackle all of those verses tonight. What I have done is I put together a list of 15 things that just off the top of my head, thinking about what the Bible says about false teachers, these are signs of false teachers. I'm going to blow through them real quick. And this is what to look for in a false teacher, how to identify a false teacher. Uh, number one is pretty simple. They teach something different than what scripture says. And that seems pretty simple and like, well, duh, that's a false teacher. But it's, it's complicated because what people say is like, I've had this revelation from God and they told me this thing. And people are like, wow. And they start following this person who that revelation that they supposedly got is literally the opposite of what scripture says. And no prophecy will contradict the word of God. God is consistent. He does not change. His ideas don't change. His law doesn't change. He is always, he's constant. So that's why I get very frustrated when people are like, oh, God told me to like move over here and start this ministry. And then like a year later, they're like, oh, God told me to move here and abandon this ministry. And it's like, that's not the God of the Bible. He's not consistent. He's not so changeable that he's just telling you to move around all the time and, and abandon these things. If he called you to a place and your ministry failed, you did something wrong. Or if he ca called you to a place and it was completely fruitless, either he didn't call you to that place and you said he did, which you now made God a liar, or he did call you there and you, you messed up. You didn't do your the, the ministry that he actually called you to, right? So we need to not misrepresent God by saying, God told me this thing when it's like, maybe he didn't. So I, just be cautious there. But mainly what we're talking about is false teachers. So when people have these personal revelations that differ from what the Bible says, that's why we need to test all things. Blow through the rest of these pretty quickly. False teachers, they serve themselves, they glorify themselves, they do absolutely whatever pleases them. They are greedy, they don't do what they t teach, uh, and this isn't the struggle that sort of preachers have, where it's like, yeah, I'm preaching about this thing because like, I'm struggling with this thing and it's not, I'm not perfect on this. I'm talking about like, they don't even try to do what they teach. They preach against adultery and they're cheating on their wife with their assistant. Like, these are things in the Bible that Paul himself says, if I don't practice what I preach, then I'm in danger of hellfire. Like, Paul says that. It's a, it's a big deal. False teachers, uh, they cause division. They love to argue or dispute things. They might forbid marriage, which is kind of a weird one, but it's in there. Uh, they might forbid certain types of food. They sound good. Romans 16 says that they have a smooth tongue and flattering lips. They, they sound real nice. Uh, that's another one, that they, they are nice people. They sound good and they're nice. Another one, false teachers are stubborn, unforgiving, and they are more than likely in your Christian community. 
Jesus says that they're wolves in sheep's clothing, meaning they look and they sound like Christians. They might even be in your church. Like, these are people who you don't recognize them right away as false teachers, but they reveal themselves to be. So, big, huge topic, lots to talk about there, but we're not going to do that tonight. Another thing that I want to talk about, we can turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to come back here to Acts 13. So, keep your finger there. Matthew chapter 13. Wow, Lola. Oh, it's the dog. Yeah. I was like, wow. Don't like that. What? I'm sorry, what was it? Matthew chapter 13. And verse 24. As says, another parable he put forth to them saying. So this is Jesus speaking another parable. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted, and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So talking about wheat and weeds and like what's going on here. The idea here is sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you just don't know. And if you go digging around, you might uproot a, a good plant, right? You you might harm a good person by rooting around and saying, "Oh, you seem like you're false, so I'm gonna whatever," and you're gonna you're gonna cause discord. Now you're gonna be the type of person that you know. Again, Proverbs says that God hates somebody who sows discord. Like now you're gonna be that person who's now harming the people of God. So what Jesus is saying is. Sometimes you don't know, and, and you, you're not, there's some things that maybe you're like, I don't want to be, be wary of this person, but don't just go uprooting the whole thing and calling them false. Rather, maybe remove yourself and say, I'm going to let Jesus judge during harvest time, which is the end. When he judges all of us, he's going to be smart enough to say weed or wheat, and he's going to do the separating, and he's going to do the judging. So if we're not sure right? Then we need to pump the brakes. Romans 16, at the end there in verse 17, it talks about the people with smooth tongues, flattering lips, and it says, it kind of gives a list of what these people are like, and it says to mark them and avoid them. And uh, these are one of those things of like, okay, and there's lists of people like this where it's like, if they're acting in this way, mark them, avoid them, right? You don't have to point the finger and say, false prophet. Now, Paul himself does call people out by name in his letters. There are those times, again, where it's an obvious false teacher where we can say false teacher. Like, without a doubt, 
that's the person to, to avoid and you aren't afraid to, to call them out by name. Second uh, Timothy also talks about people who are continuing, they get worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Uh, a little commercial here. That's what we're going to be talking about more. We're going to try and unpack this passage of people that Paul says to avoid if they're acting in these ways on Saturday. I know it's sometimes tough to give up a Saturday night, but we're going to have Selah this coming Saturday, and we're going to be digging into Second Timothy and about these people who Paul says, stay away from them. But the point is that the people that Paul sort of says, if they're acting like this, stay away from them, mark them, avoid them. There are people within that group that he says, even in that passage, he's like, oh, these people are false prophets, by the way. They're, they're acting like this. And he calls them out by name. So there's people within that group that are acting this certain way that you can, without a shadow of a doubt, say, false prophet. I'm gonna, we're going to talk more about that on Saturday. So I hope that this short thing and maybe the extended study, if you do it, uh, helps you identify false prophets and false teachers. That's my hope. That's my prayer that you guys are able to identify and uh, be careful and not get led astray. If the Spirit reveals a false prophet to you without a shadow of a doubt, that's when you need to not be afraid to tell people. And I want to say this gently and say be very, very careful with this. We don't go around pointing the finger. But when it's without a shadow of a doubt, it's good and right to say, for sure, a false prophet. And this is the Joseph Smith who started uh, Mormonism, right? Had a revelation from an angel that he didn't test. And it was not in line with the Bible. So he that's one of the people who says, look, I had this personal revelation. And everybody follows him astray because they're not testing the scriptures. He's not testing this experience he had. And he becomes a false prophet and Mormonism is a massive cult now and it is it, it all came from a man who didn't test the spirit. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they say Jesus is not God. He's a created angel. That is not in line with what the Bible says. We can easily say false prophets. Stay away from them. Cult. The guy who built the Crystal Cathedral, now it belongs to the Catholic Church, I think, but the guy who built it he went around, took a survey. What do you like about church? What don't you like about church? He threw out everything people didn't like about church. He, at first, didn't talk about hell and eventually started saying there actually isn't even a hell. There isn't judgment. Everyone's going to heaven. It's all great. And he built a statue of himself in front of the Crystal Cathedral. And it's like he was taking the glory every Sunday and saying, yeah. And it's just like this really weird, I can, without a shadow of a doubt, say, false prophet. He's saying, I'm sh- I'm sure they got rid of it. Probably Pope Francis now. <laughs> right. Way better. So my point is there are these very obvious people, very obvious groups that we can easily say false prophets. If God reveals a person in your life or a situation that, again, it's obvious without a shadow shadow of a doubt, then we need to tell our friends, like, hey, don't go to that church. Like, he's teaching this. Don't, don't hang out with that guy. He's like this, you know, and we need to not be afraid to sort of speak up in those situations. Again, be careful. We don't go around pointing the finger, but if it's without a shadow of a doubt, then we need to spread the word. Um, we can go back to Acts 13 and go to verse 
7. We're talking about the sorcerer, the false prophet, a Jew named Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul. This is the governor of the island, basically. It's a Roman territory, but this guy is, like, basically r- ruling over the entire island. He's called a proconsul. Uh, his name is Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man, it says, uh, which is an interesting... <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting, like, little thing about him, but that's cool. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. If you are talking to someone about the Bible, if you're telling somebody about Jesus and someone they respect is trying to prevent that person from praying with you, from reading the Bible with you, from talking to you at all, they might be a false prophet. And claiming to be religious or complaining. Because this guy's obviously, like... Yes. Claiming to be a religious person. Right. And so I experienced this in Manti. We, we used to go and witness to Mormons in Manti, Utah. And this would happen a lot. We'd be talking to somebody our age or, you know, a younger person or whatever. They'd be really interested and kind of be like, man, like, I've never seen this stuff. I've never thought about this stuff. And one of their friends would go get an elder and then the elder would come out and interrupt and start arguing with us and totally pull us away from this person who is actually interested in what we're saying. And that is, like, kind of the same thing. Like, an elder, a false prophet coming and saying, hey, don't talk to, like, my student. Like, talk to me. And he's, like, totally being distracting, totally derailing the whole conversation. And so we in Manti had a tactic where we always went out when we were witnessing with at least two people, but typically it was like three to four people going out in a sort of a group. And typically one person would lead the conversation, somebody else would look up verses as the other person was talking or pray, but it was just sort of a, a group effort, right? But one of the tactics we would use is if that happened, if a friend was derailing the conversation or being argumentative, or if an elder came in and tried to split up the conversation, one of us would say, hey, like, that's a great question. Let's, let's go over here. They're, they're like talking about something else. Like, let's, let's talk about this. And then we would pull the person who's trying to derail the conversation away so that we could have that conversation. Typically that one didn't go over well, but the person who's actually interested, they could hear the gospel and they could get more biblical teaching. And, and so that is, Something to consider while going into the world, talking to people, witnessing to people. This will happen sometimes where somebody will try and derail the thing. They will try and make sure that they don't listen to you. They don't pray with you. They don't read the Bible with you. That they will try and prevent the other person from coming into the faith. And sometimes it's not necessarily a leader, somebody who is saying that they're religious. Sometimes it is just a friend who's trying to derail the thing. But there are ways to not get distracted. And that's what I kind of want to bring up is when you're talking to somebody who is interested, they're, they're wanting to know what you're saying and somebody comes in, don't get distracted by the squeaky wheel. The louder person, the argumentative person, the person who is trying to derail the thing, don't focus on them because they're not the one who is going to get you anywhere. Like the person who's actually interested is the goal. 
So you need to kind of figure out how to, you know, <laughs> separate the false teacher, separate the, the, the person who's trying to derail the thing and focus on the person who is interested in uh, coming to the knowledge of the truth. In verse 9, it says, Then Saul, who also is called Paul, finally, the name change. I've been slipping up and calling him Paul quite a bit, but now this is the first time Acts says he's also called Paul. And from now on, we will refer to him as Paul. This is not uh, a nickname, like Barnabas means son of encouragement. They nicknamed him that. It was his gifting, and that's how he acted. Paul is actually just the Roman version of Saul. There's Saul is his Hebrew name. The Roman name was Paul. Like, my name is Stephen. In Spanish, it's Esteban. So, like, if I went and started preaching to Spanish-speaking people, then that would be my name. <laughs> like, that's just, that's just how it was. So, that's an interesting thing because there's a shift here. Up to this point, Saul has been preaching to, speaking to his Jewish friends, Jewish leaders. That's who he was hanging out with and, and preaching to. Now, the Holy Spirit has specifically called him to, to Gentile nations, and so now he's going by Paul simply because that's who he's now ministering to. That's who he's called to, and that's why from now on he will uh, always be Paul because his ministry was specifically to the Gentiles. Continuing in verse 9, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked intently at him being this sorcerer, Elimus. He, he looked intently at him, and you can kind of imagine it, right? Like, he's trying to talk to this guy who wants to hear the word of the Lord. He's trying to talk to him. This guy keeps interrupting, keeps trying to derail the conversation, trying to discourage the guy from coming to the faith, and he just kind of looks at him, and he looks at him intently, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. And he says... Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand." This is not Paul being annoyed with a guy and cursing him to blindness. That is not what just happened. This is a straight-up miracle. And I know it's a miracle because it says in verse 9 that he was filled with the Holy Spirit to do this thing. It's not just him reacting and the Holy Spirit's like, okay, we're doing that. No, the Holy Spirit prompted him to do this. The second reason I know it's a straight-up miracle is because Paul doesn't have the power to blind anybody. Paul did not blind him. <laughs> Paul prophesied, you're going to be blind. And then the Holy Spirit went, he prophesies over this guy, and then God blinds him. Again, it's, it's, it's the Holy Spirit empowering him to prophesy about this thing that's about to happen, but Paul isn't the one that's like, doing the magic stuff, you know, again, he's not, he doesn't have the power to do that. Only God does. So this miracle happens and this is God 
working through his sent ones. Again, we're in the Acts of the Apostles. This series is called The Works of God Through His People because apostles mean sent ones and Acts means works. Like, this is one of those works of God through one of his apostles, one of his sent ones. Paul says, you're going to be blind. You're evil. You're going to be blind. And the guy wanders off. And now they can talk to the guy who actually wants to hear the word of the Lord. The third reason that I know that this was a miracle is because of verse 12, as we read on. It says, Then the proconsul believed. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The angels start celebrating. This guy comes to the faith. And we should celebrate as well. This guy wants to hear the word of the Lord. He hears the word of the Lord. And then he sees this miracle. And it says he believed. When he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Again, we see this all throughout Acts, all throughout the Bible, that a miracle happens in order to bring people into the kingdom of God. That's what a miracle is for. All of the evidence points to that. Every miracle that you read about in the Bible, it's either to teach somebody a deeper spiritual truth or to bring somebody into the kingdom of God. That is the purpose of miracles. That's why they happen. Paul is by no means, again, he's not the one who like has the power to do this miraculous thing, and he's not this perfect guy, right? He's later going to do things that are not of the Holy Spirit at all. At one point, he smacks a guy in the face. It turns out to be the high priest, and he's like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> one, I should not have smacked you. Two, I did not know you were the high priest. That is not by the Holy Spirit that he did that thing. He's not this perfect guy that's like, totally, righteously, perfect, whatever. God uses his people for specific things, even though we're not perfect. He chooses to use us instead of, he doesn't need us to do these things, but he chooses to empower us to do his work. So this is a glorious thing that we can celebrate. But this is a thing of God that this guy was blinded. To blind this man was for a purpose so that the proconsul could believe. And I also don't want to miss this really important thing that this intelligent man, this, this governor, he's astonished at the teaching of the Lord, not just the sign. He's not just sees the sign and he's like, whoa, <laughs> Romans says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. So Sergius Paulus, he heard the word of the Lord. He then pairs that with the sign, and those two things together are the teaching of the Lord, and so he believes. Um, a false prophet, he'll do quote-unquote miracles, he'll do these magic things, and he'll do them for entertainment, he'll do them for money, he'll do them for fame, he'll do them honestly for a spiritual high. Like there are these super weird stories that people are like, we're going to have Holy Spirit parties and we're going to go like levitate and walk on the walls and do all these crazy things. And it's like not biblical, mm -hmm. like super weird. You're being empowered by some crazy demons. Like that is not what miracles are for. That is not what the Holy Spirit does. That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. It's again, testing these things. We need to be aware of things like that because that is some like, weird demonic stuff. Uh, a true miracle worker is humble. He's quiet. He exercises the fruit of the spirit, right? 
He's he's loving. He's patient. He's kind. He's long suffering. Right. He's he's self controlled. He's not just wild and going nuts. Uh, a true miracle worker always turns the attention to Jesus. Any attention that he might get. Oh, hey, it's not me. It's God. God working through me. Jesus is who we need to have faith in. And that becomes the thing that follows the miracle. A true miracle worker, that's what follows. Pointing to Jesus. Pointing to the Holy Spirit. Pointing to God as Father. That is what a true miracle does. A true miracle worker also is constantly working to bring people into the kingdom. Again, that's the point of a miracle. It's not to get attention or be cool or look what I did and going and telling everybody, no, you didn't do anything. The Holy Spirit is doing this to bring people to himself. Uh, Finally, if God calls you to work a miracle, whether it be a healing, whether it be prophesying over somebody who's God's going to strike them blind, uh, do the things that I just mentioned that a true miracle worker does, but also you have to teach. You can't just do the miracle and be like, see, see you later. Like, I don't know if you guys remember that video that Johnny showed us where people were going around and it was called the Holy Spirit or something like, like that. But there were these times where they were like doing the hand thing and there were, people were like, do you feel that? And it's like, so, supposedly they felt something on the hands, Right. They're like, that's the Holy Spirit. And then they leave. And it's like, if that's a true miracle, like, you totally just abandoned that guy, that guy. Like, there's no teaching. That, again, is not the purpose of a miracle. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. That is, that is a missed opportunity. I, mean, I think that the Holy Spirit is like some spiritual, mystical force that goes through your hands. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, oh, we can just channel this thing. And now we're into weird New Age spirituality. Like, that's not the Holy Spirit. We are called not to leave people with a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. We're called to make disciples. And and the apostles took that very seriously, and so should we. So when God empowers us to do something, no matter what it is, and sometimes we'll be like, hey, can I pray for you? Like, your back hurts, or, you know, your mom has cancer. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for her? And if that person gets healed, if some miracle happens, and they're like, I can't believe this. Like, this thing just happened. Like, you prayed, and this thing just happened. She had cancer, you prayed, and now she doesn't have cancer. We need to not be like, great, cool, like, keep praying. No, that's a perfect opportunity to say, it wasn't me, it was the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you how you can have a relationship with God by having faith in Jesus. Pair that miracle, that sign, to teaching and bring people into the family of God. That is the point. That's the teaching for tonight. Uh, Again, there's a lot to say about false teachers. That's sort of a brief overview as we are continuing through Acts. There's going to be these topics that come up that we'll deal with as we move through the story. So I hope that helps you in some way. Again, if you want to dig deeper, learn, learn more uh, about the topic, let me know. But we can close in prayer now and have some snacks and fellowship. Dear guys, I want to thank you so much for your truth and for sending your son to just bear all of our sins, God. And I pray that you will 
empower us to not just do this or that or or even do miracles, God, but uh, empower us to, to do the ministry you have us to do in order to further your kingdom, in, in order to encourage the body of Christ to work in ministry to bring people into that body and to equip others to continue that work in making disciples, God. So I, I pray that you will continue to work in us, give us those opportunities, help us to not waste them and be alert for when you prompt us to either pray for somebody or to teach somebody or to proclaim the good news, God. I pray that you will just be with us this week. Um, I pray that you will help us to carry these scriptures into our lives. And uh, as we dig deeper and learn more about you, God, I pray that you will just bring us closer to you and help that to bring unity within the body of Christ too and bring us closer to each other. I pray that you bless the rest of this evening and bless our fellowship and help us to just have a great night. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.